and welcome to Tell Us Where It Hurts, a conversation around health, well-being, and the many ways people across central Indiana are offering a helping hand. I'm your host, Chris Kirshner, and our conversation today is about the COVID-19 vaccine and some skepticism in the Black community. I'm very delighted to have joining in the discussion Dr. Clyde Posley, Racial and Social Justice Coordinator and Union District Senior Pastor for Antioch Baptist Church, and Indiana State Health Commissioner, Dr. Christina Box. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. I'm delighted Thank to be you, here. Chris. Now, what's, what's great about this episode, what I'm excited about, is we're also going to be hearing from members of our community, and they're going to have their own questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. So we're going to get to those here in just a little bit. But I always like to start by laying a little foundation on which we can build our conversation. So part of that is a survey by the Kaiser Family Foundation. This was a survey that was conducted in mid-January of this year, and it showed that 43% of Black Americans were more likely to wait and see before getting the vaccine compared to 31% of white Americans. And so Dr. Posley, I just kind of want to start with you. Is that the sense that you're getting from your congregation, from communities that there's that wait and see, that little bit of hesitation of getting the vaccine? Uh, well, Chris, yes and no. Um, you stated that that the Kaiser research data was from mid-January. And about mid-January, that would have been a yes. That is about where people uh, the, in the African-American uh, community, uh, ones I've, I, I touch and ones I see, uh, that's where their thinking was. Uh, but I am seeing a shift in that thinking uh, it, uh, in random conversations I'm having, conversations with my, with my constituents and those I lead. I'm seeing a shift. The, the intent, the effort on, in African-American culture to get this vaccine is, has intensified and trepidation is, 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 is subsiding. So that's good news. That's that is great news. news. That is great news. And, and Dr. Box, good news because this is a community that is is more widely impacted by by COVID nineteen. So let's talk a little bit about that. We have seen a higher incidence of um, African Americans um, and our Latinx population that have actually um, been infected uh, more frequently. Also, unfortunately, um, if a an African-American um, individual uh, does get sick with COVID-19, they are more likely to have severe disease, progression into the hospital, and even potentially death. So that has been um, a really overwhelming part of this. And although we are seeing a shift right now, our data shows that right now, African-Americans are still getting vaccinated at about half the rate of our um, white Hoosiers. So we really do need and have a lot of work to do in this space. And Dr. Posa, you, you did get vaccinated. Yes, I did. And you were a little bit hesitant to do so, correct? Yes, yes. I was, um, you know, hesitant at the early introduction of, of the vaccine. And, and, and there's some, you know, extenuating circumstances to, to my personal trepidation. Some of it had to do with um, the lack of information that was made available about the vaccine from, a pre, from the previous uh, administration. Uh, and other uh, part of it had to do with simply knowing uh, the the history of some of the treatment of African Americans relative to vaccines and relative to uh, treatment and and just healthcare uh, in general. So those were it, it wasn't so much that I was afraid that a vaccine would kill me. I just needed to know more information about it. Uh, and 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 once I got more information, uh, I trusted the science which I think is the way to approach making a decision about uh, 
uh, the vaccine. And do you think that's why there's been a shift, because there's been an opportunity to get some more of that information? Absolutely, I do. That, I think there's more information being made available, that uh, information that can be proven by personal research. And, and then there is a, like, like Dr. Botts, there, there, there are, there's constant, um, if you will, uh, epistemological kiosks giving information. She's giving information literally daily. She's talking about this. She's spreading this to churches. We, we work with her, um, Marin, Health, Marin County Health Coalition. And uh, we actually met with uh, uh, Jerome Adams about getting information out. Getting that information out has helped uh, soothe some of the fears in the African-American culture. That's wonderful to hear. And Dr. Box, talk about, and we want to get to these questions, but talk about your approach or what's been the state's approach in that regard. We've worked really, really hard to engage community partners across the state so that we could give the same type of basic education and information about the efficacy of these vaccines, the safety of these vaccines, the risk of getting COVID-19 and how your age is your largest risk factor. And, and in all that information, as we share that with um, local public health officials, whether they're elected officials, um, whether they're the actual uh, local health officer, or whether they are um, the local uh, faith-based um, organizations and the leaders of our faith-based churches, um, as we share that information and then they share it with their community, um, it has been a tremendous response around the state. We're also working within the communities to set up sites where individuals um, can come to get actually registered for their vaccine. We know that it's a barrier for some people to get on the computer and do that, whether that's because um, you're a little bit a part of our older population or whether you're busy working all day long or just don't have access to the computer or the Wi-Fi that can do that for you. We wanna make sure that there are people that you trust that can work with you. We've also been working with our elected officials to say, hey, when you're going to get your vaccine, could we come and take video of you doing that? Can we hear about how you felt afterwards, if you had any side effects? And can you tell us why you got the vaccine or maybe even who you got the vaccine for? Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better. That That is the process, the systematic uh, rollout uh, in terms of knowledge that has helped, I believe, the dominant factor that has helped uh, Indiana have such great results. So we're on the right track. Absolutely. But we still have work to do. Yes, and, and this has to do with giving time to the for the system to continue. Absolutely. I don't think, other than more sites, there's anything that could be changed that could make it more available, the information and the vaccine. Well, in the spirit of providing more information, we did want to get some questions from folks out in the community. And Dr. Posley, you were kind enough to introduce us to a few people. Mm -hmm. um, so let's hear some of those questions from these folks. The first is around how the vaccine was approved. Every time they, they mention on the news, emergency use authorization has been approved. I'm like, okay, this sounds like a circumvention of the process here. You know, are we getting something that is not fully vetted? How do we know it's going to, you know, have positive impacts for the majority of the people? Why should the American people trust medical solutions that have not been fully vetted under normal testing protocols. Is, are you hearing yes, that a, a lot? Yeah, I was. Okay. And, and, and I do hear it some. And, and what you are hearing there is um, African-American trepidation, which is rooted in historical experience. Um, and, and, and I understand that. Um, but um, 
when, when once the research is made available and information is given to us where we don't have to rely on competing news stations and, and, and media, media ratings, but we can go to places where we can get actual information that has been, has been uh, confirmed by other, other uh, viable uh, research uh, places, then you, then you have something to combat that with. But that is, that is a person, and I think I happen to know who that is, that is a person who has now been vaccinated after doing his research. Dr. Box, is that a, is that a concern that you heard a lot of as well, and, and how did you address that? I think this question comes up a lot. It's a very frequently asked question of me, and, and people are really put off by this concept of, oh, Operation Warp Speed and emergency use authorization. And there's been a lot of concern about what does that really mean? And does that, does that indicate that this vaccine or these vaccines didn't go through the same process of vetting? In reality, these COVID-19 vaccines have been you know, under investigation for over 10 years. They've been trying to develop some type of coronavirus vaccine since that time. And really this pandemic has just accelerated that when we look at this, you know, these vaccines went through the same FDA trials that every other vaccine has gone through. In phase one, we're just looking at small numbers of people, what, what amount of dosage works, and is there any side effects? And if we don't see any major side effects with that, then we go on to phase two, where we get hundreds of individuals, some of them healthy, some of them not, all different age groups and different demographics, and we try the vaccine on them. And then once we see that that was safe for them and did seem to show an immunologic response, then we move on to phase three, which is where we actually have thousands of individuals involved in it, 40 to 60,000 people that are studied from all different demographics, making sure we're representing the demographics across the country. And we look at how effective the vaccine is, not only in preventing infection, but preventing hospitalization and preventing death from COVID-19. And then what are the side effects? So this last phase normally takes a long time for us to get through. But when you're in the middle of a pandemic, a lot of people want to volunteer to be in the vaccine trial. And secondly, because there's a lot of infection around, very quickly we get to those numbers that we need to see in our group that was immunized versus our group that was not and realize what that e efficacy is. The whole Operation Warp Speed, unfortunately, was kind of poorly phrased, I think, because in reality, we didn't do anything quickly other than we were already manufacturing and packaging this so that if we did find a vaccine, or in our case now already three vaccines that hit the mark and were safe, then we were able to roll those out immediately. And, and, and just to echo that, I, I totally agree with her. And just to echo that, consider that this is something, maybe this vaccine, in my opinion, was probably more scrutinized and probably more vetted than any vaccine in, a, in human history. You, you must, we must keep in mind that in Europe and all around the world, these same processes are going on. And so we have a closer look uh, from, what, what, from, from um, uh, AstraZeneca uh, and we, uh, from the, the UK. We have what's happening in Africa and what we're looking at in America, what we're looking at in, 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 Can in Canada. And so we have actually a vaccine that's probably more closely scrutinized and vetted than any vaccine in, in, in global history.
This vaccine has had more scrutiny on its safety than any medication, therapeutic, vaccine, or um, uh, medical equipment that's ever rolled out before because we have the ability to and, and are reaching out to every pregnant patient that gets this, to every individual that gets immunized. There's a vSafe app that you can even get on and, and talk about your side effects, and they reach out to individuals that report any type of adverse effect in our VAERS system at the CDC. Well, let's go to the next question. And Dr. Box, you touched on this, uh, but we're talking about the phased rollout of the vaccine. Why is there a phased rollout of the vaccine based on age groups and, and other criteria like that? I understand that the uh, initial rollout was for essential workers, but beyond that, shouldn't the vaccine be available to anyone who wants it, especially since there was the concern from people in the African-American community and perhaps other communities who were skeptical uh, about the vaccine itself. Dr. Box, you want to start? This is a question that I get asked quite frequently also. And, you know, we knew very early on in this pandemic that if we were blessed enough, lucky enough to actually be able to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, that initially there would be limited amounts of vaccine that was available and we would have a very high demand. And when you reach that problem where you have a supply and demand issue, it is absolutely critical that you look at that very, very scarce um, uh, therapeutic or vaccine and that you very um, ethically and morally um, allocate that, that particular vaccine across your state and across the United States. So that is why very early on, our chief medical officer, Dr. Lindsay Weaver, made sure that she brought together um, and assembled a vaccine advisory committee. And these are external experts to the Indiana Department of Health. They involve people like um, uh, Marion County Public Health Department's um, uh, health officer, Dr. Virginia Kane, who has been an incredible mentor to me and helped through all of this, um, infectious disease experts, vaccinologists, immunologists, ethicists, uh, faith-based individuals um, all together to really help consult and make some of these really important decisions. From the beginning of the pandemic, our desire was to make sure that we prevented as many hospitalizations as we could and to save lives. And our first priority was initially to preserve our healthcare workforce. And the importance of that is obviously that not only do we want individuals with COVID-19 to be able to be hospitalized and receive the best care, but there are other health issues going on at the same time, like strokes and, and cancer and heart attacks. And so we wanted that hospital system to be supported so that not only that we had the personnel there, but we had the rooms and the availability of everything that was needed to take care of us as Hoosiers when we become ill. And then our priorities were, of course, our first responders, those individuals that bring patients to us, those individuals that um, staffed our long-term care facilities and the residents there. After we protected the healthcare professionals, EMS, first responders, and, and our long-term care staff and residents, then we looked at the data for the state of Indiana and the United States, and we said, 
who is most likely to die from this? And what we found is, as did the rest of the United States, that age is the number one risk factor for an individual to die from this disease. In fact, only about 23 of our cases are over the age of 60 in the state of Indiana, but 93% of our deaths occurred over the age of 60. So in fact, our eligibility has been age-based um, pretty much from once we got past that 1A personnel and went into 1B, which is our, our vulnerable or our, our, our at-risk populations. And Dr. Posley, why from a cultural perspective would the phase rollout be a concern? Just because of some of the fears um, that, um, that, that speak to a person's notions about fairness just in the country. Uh, but uh, if, if I could, I'd like to give my view on it. From, as a faith leader, from a moral perspective, I totally agree with um, the science of the rollout. Uh, Albert Einstein talked about the quality, and I'm paraphrasing, the quality of a culture is seen in how it cares for its most vulnerable uh, citizens. That being, in his, in his economy of thinking at that time, uh, seniors and children. The seniors, which happen to be the age range which is most vulnerable, are the ones who have contributed the most to build the country we're trying to save with the vaccine. And so in my mind, in terms of a moral imperative, that is the group that absolutely should receive, should have received it first. The persons were dying at a feverish pace in nursing homes. And we've now come to understand that in many instances, in some states, the numbers were not even attributed or properly counted uh, for nursing homes. These are the people uh, who have laid the foundation, and we have in America more related to the efforts of our seniors and down through the years in terms of the age brackets than we have anyone. So I, I, I believe that Dr. Bott's uh, use of analytics is in line with the moral imperative uh, that has made our country, uh, um, as much as anything, stay in line with being a people of God. We have one more question we want to make sure that we get to, and that is uh, specifically from a cancer survivor. So take a listen to this question. So my question is for patients, specifically cancer patients that are in active treatment that have compromised immune systems, where should they get their information regarding the vaccine. I personally, as a breast cancer survivor, would like to know, should it be their oncologist? Should it be their surgeon? Should it be their primary caregiver? It's not aligned in the medical community or the media, and there absolutely is a mistrust, specifically, I think, for uh, the black community, just based on historical things and also misinformation. So Dr. Box, from, from her standpoint of for, for cancer patients or survivors, would you like to address that? It's a it's a great question, and what we have done basically is also prioritize a lot of comorbidities, and cancer is one of those, a big one of those, so that anybody that is actively receiving treatment for cancer in the form of chemotherapy or radiation or surgery, or who has received that in the last three months, we really want those individuals to get the vaccine. Individuals who are living with our hematologic cancers like lymphoma and leukemia and multiple myeloma and lung disease are also a very much at increased risk. But we also know that these individuals may have to time when they receive the vaccine based on when their immune system is up and working again, based on when they're going to get their surgery or start or finish radiation therapy. So what we did was we reached out to providers all over the, the state through our hospital association, 
um, through um, our PLA, which is our Public Licensing Association, and we asked them to enter all of these individuals that they were caring for or had cared for um, into a portal so that we could actually, through our um, our platform, our scheduling platform, send an invitation out to them uh, based on the demographics that their physician's office gave us uh, to actually sign up for the vaccine. And we asked them in that to make sure that they called their provider to see, based on their chemo or other medications they have, do they need to time the, uh, the planning of scheduling that vaccine for a particular time. You know, it really does, um, hurt me to hear people talk about the mistrust of the vaccine and I totally understand it. When we look at the African community based on you know the historical mistrust of things like Tuskegee and the maybe sometimes the past healthcare interactions that they've had with our system and just mistrust of government, that is a very, very real thing. So as I talked about, we are really trying to educate through that and work through that. Dr. Kane, who I said is one of my incredible mentors, told me early on in this, she said, Chris, you're going to educate, you're going to bring out the information, you're going to talk about all the right things, you're going to engage community partners, but my people, she said, they're going to sit back and they're going to wait a little bit. And then once they've seen other people get it and they've seen how people react to it, when some of their leaders and their community-based and faith-based leaders have gotten this vaccine, then you will see people start to get immunized more. And, and, and I'm really starting to see that now with our data. She also mentioned it, um, the, the person with the question, misinformation. Mm -hmm. Is there a sense that there's misinformation? They're not getting the, the enough information or the correct information about the vaccine or about COVID? I mean, I cannot tell you the number of absolute um, misinformation, things that are out on social media. When I look at it, you know, just this concept that people actually believe I'm going to put a chip in their arm with the vaccine so that the government can follow them around or that it's going to prevent them from being able to have babies when, they, when they're ready to have children. These are the same kinds of myths that we hear with regards to things like the HPV vaccine that actually helps to prevent uh, five or six different cancers. So I'm used to working through that as a practitioner, but it's been very, very real with the COVID vaccine. So very, um, we've been working very hard and we have an FAQ, so frequently asked questions on our website that we update every 24 hours that is available pretty much in any language on our website. You can go to the Google button and just click on it and then pick the language that you'd like to be able to read that in. Dr. Posley? Yes, you know, Chris, you know, to be pointed, there was misinformation and recent misinformation. Our forum, this tremendous forum that I'm ex excited to be a part of, is not a political one. And that's not why I'm here. But that the person who just answered the question, they talked about a reality. Leading up to uh, this January, the president said that COVID-19 was a hoax. It was not real. It was something contrived. And we just had an election where one out of virtually one out of every other person voted for the opposite guy. So that means their dual, dual, dual mindedness in the country. That is, and, and, and so that makes people's concern about misinformation. You have the most powerful human alive saying that that which, is, which killed my 95-year-old father who had comorbidities but didn't die until he got COVID uh, three months ago. You have someone, the most powerful po person on, on the planet, saying this is not real. 
It's not something that's a reality. So it is understandable. Who, who should they believe? I mean, the, the, the intelligent thing is to accept the fact that you're hearing two sources of information and, not, and be still until you hear which one is true. So that lack of concern about information and, and what is real and what is true, that's not, just, that's not simply something that, that black people are just uh, come, the African-American culture just coming up with. They are being told by the most powerful person on the planet that what killed your mom or the reason you can't go to the nursing home is not a real thing. Even here within our own state, I hear a lot of people say that, that the Department of Health and myself are inflating the numbers of individuals who have died from this disease. I don't believe that. That we're actually purposely applying many of the deaths to um, COVID-19. And I can tell you that Indiana averages about 65,000 deaths a year. And in 2020, our preliminary numbers are 77,000. And those are directly related to COVID-19. And, and they correlate almost exactly with the over, over 12,000 Hoosiers that we've lost from yes. this disease. Yes, ma'am. I totally agree. That That is, I'm, I'm in the research. Um, I, I'm totally connected with Virginia Kane, the Marion County Health Director. I'm all over, as you can tell before, my, before we started the interview, I'm all over what Dr. Botts has to say every day. And uh, no, the numbers coincide with the fact that a catastrophic um, virus has attacked the country. I don't know about other states, but here our deaths coincide with, unfortunately, the, the cases and how and how the uh, uh, treatment has impacted based on age. Simply put, younger people tend to survive it. Older people tend not to. And that's in line with her data. I want to go back to where we, the way we started this conversation, and that is that we are headed in a good direction Absolutely. with regard to our black populations and the COVID vaccine. Absolutely. So how do we continue that trajectory? How do we, where is the best place for them to get information? If we have people who are listening, what can they do? Go to our website. It's called ourshot.in.gov. That's where you can register for the vaccine, but that's where you can also go to our frequently asked questions and you can get all kinds of really good evidence-based information with regards to the safety of the vaccine and side effects of the vaccine and information about COVID-19, the disease process. Um, You can see data, the state data with regards to who's being vaccinated and and what counties are, are getting more people vaccinated. I can tell you that every day we are looking at zip code level data to see the percentage of individuals that have been vaccinated. And that's what's guiding us as to where we need to go next with our mobile units to really concentrate um, with the population. I'll tell you recently in Lake County, uh, we had um, Calumet, which is the west end of Gary, reach out to us. They have two uh, vaccine sites in the far east end, but none um, on the west end. And we specifically, before we opened that out up uh, to people to schedule, we sent out messaging to the first five closest zip codes to that area and then expanded to 10 zip codes. And we have filled both days up there completely and even added an additional 200 appointments each day because we've worked with our community-based leaders there to get the information out and um, the community-based people that actually are helping them to register. When, when you're talking with your congregation, your neighbors, your friends, mm-hmm. what do you tell them? I mean, do you, do you recommend that they get a vaccine or, or are you directing yes. them to certain, this is where you need to get your information? Yes. Uh, I, I, as a social scientist, I believe in, in, in science. Yeah, I'm a faith person, but I believe in science. And so what she's saying is true. And I have this saying, if something's not true, there shouldn't be any evidence. Her plan is working. 
Well, I'm so glad that we had this conversation, and I can't thank the both of you enough for your time. Dr. Clyde Posley, Dr. Christina Box, thank you so much. Thanks for all you're doing to support this effort and for supporting your communities. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I'd like to thank our guests for being part of today's discussion and thank you for being part of our journey as we all become better listeners. I'm Chris Kirshner, and this has been Tell Us Where It Hurts. Until next time.